We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What up everyone? Pat Mayo here. If you're wondering why this show is so long today, it's because I've added on the brand new European Tour Picks and Bet show from Mayo Media Network's YouTube page and threw on the audio on the back end of this. Skylar Hoke and Tom Jacobs every single week are going to be breaking down the European Tour from a betting angle, plus some DraftKings. DraftKings pricing is out at that time too, so if you're a fan of the Euro Tour, want to make some more bets, play some more DraftKings, that's going to be up on the Mayo Media Network YouTube page every single Monday. They did it early this week because the odds came out early. So please go subscribe to the network. That's where you can find that. It's not going to be in the audio form as of yet, but I just wanted to throw it on this one so you guys can check it out. See if you like it or not. If so, head on over to Mayo Media Network and subscribe, smash a like, and do all that fun stuff for you audio listeners. I do have some giveaways to do. I mean, always rate, review, and subscribe to the Pat Mayo Experience audio podcast. However, I'm going to throw the show link in the description if you're listening to this on apple Podcasts, we're continuing our week of hundred dollar usd giveaways on the fantasy hockey picks and bet show i don't care if you want listen to fantasy hockey care about fantasy hockey hate fantasy hockey it doesn't really matter subscribe to fantasy hockey picks and bets help us out with a few of the downloads over there but it's your ratings and reviews that really mean the world to us to help us get the show up and the ratings and everything like that increase the downloads that's only going to mean more shows for other sports like how you know the hockey show did pretty well i was able to launch a european tour show if that show does well we can launch more shows going forward so if you do a rating of five stars a review something like hey check it out don't be like hey pat told me to do this you're not going to win if you do that um just leave a review like hey great hockey show great picks i'll be tuning in just something like that just lie to the people out there whatever it might be but leave your twitter handle or your email address so you can get in the draw uh we're doing multiple ones for a hundred dollars uh over there for apple Podcasts. i'd say stitcher and spotify and all that stuff too but they don't have a rating system to collect this stuff so apple Podcasts only rate review subscribe five stars and leave that in there they'll be giving out the winners on the show this week so thank you for all your support of mayo media network of course i'm gonna have a full complement of shows this week and uh become a member of fantasy national okay
Let's get to the show. Welcome to the Pat Mayo Experience, presented by DraftKings 2021 American Express. First look and research. If you want to play in the best tournament on DraftKings, good news. The Listener's League link is already available. You can find it in the description of this video and podcast. Also, new show alert on Mayo Media Network. So if you have not subscribed to Mayo Media Network on YouTube as of yet, what are you doing? Please help us out and hit the quick subscribe button. Takes like two seconds. Also, smash the like button to this video. Give me your early lean in the comment section. But we've launched a European Tours Picks and Bet Show. Tom Jacobs, Skylar Hoke will be hosting that. So please, if you want to get into the Euro Tour, we're going to be doing it every single week. It's out early on a Sunday for this week for the HSBC, but most weeks I I believe it will come out on Monday evening. That's the time that they can record. Then everything is out. So if you want to get some extra sweats in on the golf, highly suggest you check out the European Tour Picks and Bets show. Show some support to those guys up on Mayo Media Network. Other than that, I'm going to be using FantasyNational.com to walk through my research process for the week for the American Express. If you want to get a discount on Fantasy National, go to FantasyNational.com slash Mayo. And you'll get your 20% off. Highly suggest the annual membership. You can get weekly, monthly, or annual. And the annual is the best bang for your buck, especially when you're getting 20% off anyway. You play more than 10 bucks a week on DraftKings or in the betting market. Fantasy National is something that you need to have in your life just to cut down on time, if nothing else. So... Let's jump into the American Express this week. Different structure this time around because of COVID regulations. This is the first of the two pro-ams that we usually get in the rotation. The other one being Pebble Beach. That also is not going to have the pro-am element this time around. So normally what we see for the American Express, we go to La Quinta and we get a three-course rotation. Everyone gets to play one of the courses each of the first three days. And there's a cut after three rounds. Then the final round is at the Pete Dye Tournament course this year not so much the same in fact it's a lot better because the tournament course is the only one that has shot link for one thing so you know how awful that gets tv coverage at three separate courses is just horrendous remember when adam hadwin was at la quinta and he was shooting a 59 they couldn't get a camera on him to like hole 17 well we might not have that problem this time around so the way that it works here it's a full field 156 players par 72 for both courses and like i said both courses la quinta that's out of here so we're just going to get the nicholas course and the pete Dye design tournament course they're going to split between the two the first two days sort of like the farmers insurance open between north and south at torrey pines then there's going to be a cut of the top 65 in ties then everyone will just play the tournament course on the weekend i myself prefer this setup to the way that it normally ends up going so uh, i like this one a lot uh, i'm excited for this tournament for the first time in ages in the field like we've seen the first two weeks on the pga tour much stronger than usual for the american express a lot of the guys that either played in the tournament of champions or just skipped hawaii outright are going to show up this time around um yeah i guess covid protocols it, it calls calls for 156 players like i said top 65 in ties make the cut andrew landry is the defending champion and players that we're going to see at the very top of the field this time around got john rom who's won this event before can't lay patrick reed who's won this event before cameron champ sung jm abraham answer see whoo 
Kim, Tony Finau, Scotty Scheffler, and Russell Henley. Uh, and first-timers that we're seeing on tour this year, you got Brooks in the field, Matthew Wolf, Woodland, Francesco Molinari, Phil, Ricky Fowler, Paul Casey, Doc Redman, Harold Varner III. Then you got some you know second-tier guys, but we're still seeing them for the first time. Sam Burns, Lucas Glover, Ryan Moore, Tringali, Streelman. Denny McCarthy, Camillo Vizegas, Charles Schwartzel, Jason Duffner, John, uh, they're all here. Uh, Lonto, Na, Munoz, Nick Taylor, Warinsky, and Brendan Todd are all going to be playing for their third consecutive week. We're also getting the first look at Aaron Wise, Alex Noren, Adam Long, and Adam Hadwin. Grio's in the field. Jimmy Walker's in the field. It's it's really strong, to tell you the truth. And the best part about no Pro-Am is like no nine-hour rounds. It's going to be like normal golf for the first time. So maybe that throws course history out of whack. I don't know, but you're going to get three rounds at one course, so we can really dig into that. Plus, that's the course that has all of the shot link stats to go along with it, so that's really should help us out, whether it's in the head-to-head betting market. It doesn't really matter what it is. I had a great head-to-head and three-ball day on Friday. Not so hot on Saturday. At least I didn't bleed all of the money back, but every bet hit. We did get a split out of Keith Mitchell because he tied with Nick Taylor on Friday. Both shot the rounds of the day. Yeah, you don't see that too much. Both of the rounds of the day coming from the same group, and you have money on one of them. But they do get the split of the three ball, because there's the third loser who's a part of that. Totally forget who it was at this point. But the parlay ends up hitting on the three-way. Jim Herman took a triple. I had a lot of money on Jim Herman on Saturday in his head-to-head solo and his three ball. And he was cruising till a triple bogey on 16 really set him back. Uh, he was at minus five at that point and just cruising past Pat and Kazire. Everything was gravy. It didn't really work out. I'm filming this before the conclusion of the Sony Open, even before the leaders are off at the Sony Open, so I don't really know what happens there. You know, fingers crossed. I said this last week for Morikawa and Berger, and they completely shit the bed on Sunday. So Leishman and Joaquin Neiman, I could use you to have some good days at the top of some DraftKings contests. I got outrights on you. It would be really nice if you could come through for old Pat Mayo. But the past six Sundays, I've had a guy in second place going into the weekend are uh, going into Sunday's round and they've been horrible. So I hopefully the curse of Mayo does not continue to go through. Uh, and I got Neiman in one of the one and dones in the race for the Mayo Cup. It'd be nice to start the season off with a bang in that and just take over first place, try to win my own trophy. That would be fantastic news all around. Uh, so like I said, let's jump into the courses, jump over to fantasynational.com. Again, fantasynational.com slash Mayo will get you the discount. So we have the two courses. We'll click on course conditions and course breakdown. It'll probably only show us. Let's see here. I oh, know we, we got a bit of the different stuff here. So 2020, uh, the Nicholas tournament course. And they get kind of screwed up here on the, uh, I guess the, it doesn't really know what to do with three courses, I suppose. Uh, they're all shorter end courses. Uh, part threes will make a big difference at the stadium course. One thing I really did notice before we jump into like the breakdown of the stats, a lot of really accurate players have won this course. Now, Rom ended up winning, but some of the top end guys with worse accuracy can club down a little bit. So that could be to their advantage. But you see someone like Andrew Landry end up winning. Abraham Answer was in second place a year ago. Big accuracy mavens off the tee something to consider uh, and not necessarily like focus all your energy on but i think that could be just a lean if you're going towards i don't know if you're trying to decide in a coin flip situation you got calm conditions more than likely course length less than 7200 yards rough length short everywhere green speed average average green firmness medium adam long's actually a winner here too another accuracy guy adam had one another accuracy guy who lost to adam long that year bermuda greens uh, all the way around if you want to try to parse that out we jump back over to the course we see the stadium course 
This is a Pete Dye design. Like I mentioned, once again, let's see if there's any showdown implications here. So we have 13, 18, 5, 9 is a very difficult hole. And then you got damn, 17, 18, and 1's not really feeling it either. If you can sneak one out on 9, it does seem like, yeah, no, there's no real showdown advantage if you're playing at the stadium course. The Nicholas course is generally a little bit easier as it goes over. We'll slip over to, is it called the Nicholas course? Yeah, Nicholas, Nicholas Tournament course. Let's see if there's any advantage here. Eight, nine, one, ten. If you start on ten, you get no wraparound advantage there. The, the closing holes at both these courses incredibly tough. Um, but eight, nine, and one, one and five. So yeah, no real advantage there. Although that the Nicholas Tournament course tends to play a little bit easier on scoring average. That doesn't mean the first round leader or guys at the tournament course aren't going to score well. They're both non-super difficult courses. But just in general, the Nicholas tends to lean a little bit easier on any given day. So maybe you want to load up with those guys. We don't have really all that much information because there's no shot link data from the tournament course or from the Nicholas course, sorry. But you can see there are six par fours that measure between 400 and 450 yards another two below 400 as we jump back to the tournament course where did it go stadium course i'm gonna get tournament course and stadium course you know it's gonna be one of those weeks you got nc and tc or sc uh when you see it on uh, the pga tour app this week strokes gained approach very high up on the list along with strokes gained putting very reminiscent really um, at least when it comes down to the real stats that you want as the Sony Open from this week. Although you can see par 3 scoring, uh, leaning a bit more than par 4 scoring along with par 5 scoring. So that's really interesting. Note, first time we've seen that through the three courses so far. Uh, at least that's for the top 10 finishers. Let's update this to top 5. You can see that around the green really goes down while well, you want guys that hit greens in regulation. That's not to say... And that you don't need to scramble a little bit. Of course you do. Uh, but you want to be hitting the fairways. You want to be hitting greens of regulation, hoping to make a few putts when it comes down to it. Because some of these bunkers can get pretty steep trying to get out of, uh, as you can see over time. Uh, any eagles, 16s, eagleable. Eight is eagleable. Those are really the only two. Two and 2.7% eagle rate on those two holes at the stadium course. Uh, and then when we see it a bit more, it's a bit more washed out uh, for the top five finishers when you look at strokes gained by par on each hole. Uh, average shot distribution, you see the plurality coming from 150 to 175. And then pretty even across the board after that. I guess it depends on how you hit your drives. Do you lay up a little bit? Are you a little bit longer? And then you get more of an even distribution on the par fours. You got three from 350 to 400 three from 400 to 450 and three from 450 to 500 and then there's one from zero from 350 and less which hole is that 350 and less you have number seven um not really drivable uh, as you can see a 0.2 percent eagle rate uh, but guys do make a birdie at a very high clip on that hole however Going down a little bit more. Let's see here. What do we got? How's our three-putt percentage? Very low compared to your average tour event. Average driving distance, a lot lower than you see at other courses. Again, that will increase the accuracy, although it is a bit lower at this course. Only 57% versus the 62% that you see on a normal week. Uh, green regulations, about the same. Scrambling percentage, a little bit higher than it is at an average tour event, at least at the stadium course, the Pete Dye design. We'll take a look into Pete Dye, guys, here in a second, too. Uh, what else do we want to look at? Tournament history. 
let's take a look at the tournament history and see who's done well with this course going in. Strokes gained overall over the past five years at this tournament. Uh, this will weigh all courses. Hadwin, Landry, Rom, Steele, who could end up trying to go for back-to-back here because uh, he's in first place as we speak at the Sony Open. I hope he doesn't win, but you know that's what we'll see. He's made the cut every year as well. Sean O'Hare. Huh, strange. Even in 2019, Sean O'Hare ended up with a T9 at this course, did not play last year. Other than that, you got Phil Harmon Mickelson, Kevin Na, another decent play here. Swafford's won this event before. Uh, was cut a year ago, but starting to play a little bit better golf as we go through it. We'll take a look at what the Sony Open stats tell us throughout, too. Sung Jay's top 12 both years he's played here. Sam Burns, two top 20s both years he's played here. The Gooch has top 20s the past two years. Anyone else who does particularly well? Abe Answer has top 20s the past two years. Ryan Moore and Sebastian Kaplan both finished inside or both had a T6 in their first starts here. I mean, Ryan Moore played it ages ago, but at least in the past five years, it was his first start at this course. Just looking at overall, last year went Landry, answer Scheffler, Scheffler solo third in his first appearance at this course. Straka, who's playing some pretty decent golf right now, to tell you the truth. He was fourth a year ago, Burns, Moore, Kaplan, Hoagie, Putnam, M. When was the last time? Man? Was this this had to have been Andrew Putnam's last top ten? It had to have been because he has been god awful ever since. Let's see, yeah, top ten at the Amex before his string of one, two, three, four, five, six straight missed cuts. Then he had a 58th at workday, then three more missed cuts, and he started to make a few more cuts once the swing season started, then started to miss cuts once again. It's been a rough go for old Andrew Putnam over the past little bit. Finau had a T14. Grayson, who had a hot start at Sony, had a top 10 here last year. Norin was inside the top 15, so decent guy. The year before that, Long beat Mickelson and Hadwin on Sunday, made that putt on the 72nd hole. He had the Gooch pop up, Rahm and Poston. Decent results here. Von Taylor, who's showing up at Sony once again. Maybe he's starting to get his form back a little bit. Michael Thompson, also a decent week at Sony going on right now. Not in contention, but not having a bad week either. He was top 10 two years ago, as was Cantlay, and his only appearance as he'll be in the field again this week. Go back to 2018, Rom Landry had one. Uh-huh. Oh, maybe my guy Johnny Huh is a play this week. DraftKings play, mind you, making his first start of the year because I believe he closed the season pretty decently started to show up once again yet yeah, 20th in Mayakoba 11th at RSM and 20th at the Shriners so since the swing season started he's four for four in cuts with three top 20s over that time so Johnny question marks time to get your tour card back pal all right do I have a model for this one this one's always tough to figure out um, only because yeah, with the three courses, it's really hard to wait all of that. Let's see, American Express. Nope, I don't have one for that. What to, what would I have called it before? What the hell was this tournament used to be called? Stupid tournaments changing its name all the time. The Humana, is that what it is? Valspar, Pebble, Trinity, the Players. Just work with me through here. Might have to create a new one as we go through this. Distant short game, colonial, career builder is what this used to be called. What do I have here? Off the tee, I had par threes weighted, par fives weighted. I'm going to jack up par threes. Just I'll leave par fours where they are. Jack down par fives a little bit and increase par threes. Sand saves, 5% proximity on close irons. Apparently, I was all about that. Uh, let's, let's dial that back down a bit. Uh, as I said, that the majority of the proximity range... 
We'll get rid of birdies or better gained, although you will need that. And we'll take out putting, which I had weighted at 0%. I did say 150 to 175 is where the majority of those shots, or the plurality, sorry, of where those shots come this week. So let's let's throw that into the mix. Might have too many stats in here. Not going to lie to you. Um, let's take out 75. And let's take out the wedges and just throw... Uh, now I have that as par threes. I don't want that. I want proximity. 150 to 175, and we'll weight that at 10%. Might be overvaluing it just a little bit. But again, this is the first run. I'll have uh, more information as we go through. Fairways gain, as I mentioned, is something, what are we dealing with here? 85%. Let's crank that up to 5%. And we'll dial back off the T 5%, and maybe even throw that up to 10%, just so you have that weights. Jack up. What are we at here? 95. Let's dial back approach again, back to 25%. And we will throw in opportunities gain. Because I probably built this model before we introduced the proprietary opportunities gain stat that we have at Fantasy National. Make that 10% opportunities gain. Again, if you don't know, is a green in or under regulation or fringe in or under regulation inside 20 feet. That will give you an opportunity to score. It's sort of an alternative to birdies or better gained. Shows you who has the most opportunities, birdie putts, to actually make. And in a scoring fest like this is probably something you're going to want to have. I'm going to throw in strokes game putting as a zero factor once again just so i can have that uh in my grid as i look into it so let's load this up again i'll tweak this as the week goes along you're free obviously if you remember at fantasynational.com to tweak it any way that you want to try to find who might be the best plays obviously the sony stats are not loaded into this as of yet they will be available monday morning after the sony open actually concludes we'll have four more rounds of strokes gain data to throw into that as well Past 50 rounds, all courses. Let's just take a quick gander. Henley, Redmond, Grio, Wolf, Ryan Moore, Keegan Bradley, Harold Varner III, Lucas Glover, John Rahm, and Paul Casey would be the top 10 as the model spits itself out so far this week. Then you got M. Reavy. Why does it keep doing this to me? Why are you, why are you jumping on me here, trying to load in all the snats? M. Reavy, Brooks, Finau, Seb Strakasi, woo, Kim. Kevin Streelman, Jason Duffner, Matthew Nee Smith, who missed the cut this week, and Kyle Stanley, who's the king of the front nine on Thursdays. I believe he ended up missing the cut after he was in first place most of the day on Thursday, and then started going bankways as we ended up talking about it. So that's who gets spit out over the past 50 rounds. Let's shorten that down to past 24 rounds. Actually, you know what? Let's do it this way. Let's go to the rolling report and go to custom model. And we can look at it to see if anyone is gaining over time in this custom model. And this custom model may be absolutely horrendous. For all I know, you might want to tweak it a different way. I, I'm always curious to know if you guys do do the modeling. Oh, that didn't spit it out for me, right? I want to go to custom model. I want to go to rolling report. I don't know why it's doing that for me. Let's load that in to see if uh, that ends up doing it. The rolling reporting app. I just didn't have it set up right. All right, so last 100 rounds, you got Rom, Brooks, Cantlay, Casey. That's the one mark that you know. And it's, I mean, if you're going to be using all sorts of these stats, that it should spit out the best players the longer back that you go, because the best players tend to be the most consistent players. But you know, if it was spitting me out like the worst possible players in the field over the long term as a greater sample, I feel like, yeah, if I had Jim Konos coming out at the top, I voted for Konos. But that would be at least a good sign. So over the past 100 rounds, Rom, Brooks, Cantlay, Casey, Redmond, Griot, M, 
Wolf, Streelman, EVR would be the top 10. You got Fino, Werner, and Ryan Moore. Past 50, we already went over. Let's go to the short term. And see, past 12 rounds, it will spit out Matthew Neesmith before the Sony stats get included. I bet you he's not going to be number one after that. But Neesmith, Keegan, Ryan Moore, Henley, Rom, M. Grio, the Gim Reaper. My guy cost me some bucks this week. Sammy Burns, Adam Long, and the Gooch would be the top 11. Then you got Johnny Hum, Malnati, Piercy, Cook, Champ, Knox, Laird, Wise, Redmond, EVR. Uh, EVR sees. He kind of, this is his worst of the six fields. You got four, eight, 12, 24, 50, and 100 rounds. This period of the past 12 rounds is the worst for EVR. He, he took a triple bogey on Friday and knocked himself out. He was making a ton of birdies, though, so that's encouraging to see. Zach Johnson continues just to play well. I don't know if he's got the goods to go all the way with this. Patrick Reed, like I mentioned, is a former winner at this course. Uh, it's going to be tough to really decipher. The odds and pricing will really lend you towards where you would expect some of these players to end up being in terms of the odds board. Uh, It's going to be very curious to see someone like Brooks uh, as a part of this list to see how he ends up doing past eight rounds. Neesmith, Brandley, yeah, not much doing there. Past four rounds, (laughs) probably not the best thing to look at. Uh, If we go to 24, Keeg, Rom, Redmond. So expect Redmond. Uh, One way that you can kind of judge early ownership uh, right away is who pops up in the models. Who are the names? The non-obvious like names. Like you're going to have your favorites um, and they're going to pop up. Very curious to see how Wolf does here. The longer you go back, the better he is in terms of the stat modeling. The last time he played, I think he missed the cut at the Masters. Yeah, 50th at Zozo. He had his nice run. Fourth at the PGA. Second U.S. Open. Second at the Shriners. I bet him in all three of those events. He cashed the each way on them, but he was not able to come through for me for that big money. But you can see... You know, over the course since the swing season came back, he's really hit or miss. He has a bunch of missed cuts, but he has three second place finishes. He has a fourth place finishes, two of those at majors. So you don't really know really what you're going to get from Matthew Wolf, but you know what that upside is going to be if he ends up cutting through. Nice to see that his uh, putting splits are starting to go back towards the positive. And again, where we looked at, this is a course where... The around the green doesn't play the strongest factor. Sometimes Matthew Wolf does have a great week uh, around the greens, but other times it can go horribly, horribly wrong. Really weird to see that he was awful off the tee um, after you know gaining so much. That was really his bread and butter uh, when he was in contention. So he seems to be one of these very highly volatile players where if he doesn't have it that week, he's going to be bad. But if he has it going, he's going to be in contention to win. Uh, another guy where when Bryson plays well, he tends to play well. No Bryson in the field this week. And I don't know if Bryson's ever played this event before, but you know, we're not really concerned about Bryson so far this week. <sighs> Austin Cook. Interesting to see. I believe he is making the cut right now at the Sony. Not sure. Yeah, he is. He is. He made the cut at the Sony. Uh, Sung Jay, Curious to see if people jump off board with him after he made the cut, but really struggled on the weekend at Sony. Not going to have a very high finish whatsoever. Sammy Burns. He and Redmond will likely be the 7K. I don't know. Redmond will probably get priced, I'm guessing, like 7.982, somewhere in that range. Curious to see what they do with Burns. He's been kind of a staple when stronger players are in the field between like 68 and 73. If that's the case, expect Sam Burns to be very, very popular. I don't know what to do with Doug Gim. He had been trending really well 
Obviously, he had a very poor week at Wildlife, but sometimes those are the guys that you want to go back to the week after that, you know, everyone was on them. They were super chalky. We all liked them because the stats love them. They've been playing so, so well, and they shit the bed for you. But sometimes those are the guys to go back to in a field like this. Uh, even Matthew Neesmith, you know, he was very popular this week in the low seven, so he'll probably be back in the $6,000 range this time around. Now, maybe his game is just gone. Maybe his hot run was here. It's over at this point. But at the same time, maybe he's had two bad rounds and you know, all of a sudden he gets it back together and he comes in at one fifth the ownership and the stats are still telling you exactly the same thing. It's still golf. The guys have to go out and perform. The stats can only tell you so much when it comes down to it. Curious to see how the triangle man, Cameron Tringali, ends up doing here. Let's see. He was 2.9 at Houston. So this, this is very interesting to see. So very high at Bermuda. Uh, low at Shriners, very high at Sanderson. And how did he do at Sanderson? He was like, okay. His price went up for the Shriners. No one went on to him. As you can see, 4% GPP percentage at the Shriners and ended up having a good week. Was top 20 that week. Uh, very popular at Bermuda. Missed the cut at Bermuda. So no one wanted to own him at Houston. Finished inside the top 30 at Houston. No one was really sold because it wasn't that great. So he was 7.7 at RSM at a decent price. Ended up coming in third. So again, to the point of... If you play one of these chalky, cheaper players, always good to avoid the chalk. Sometimes it's really hard to do that, and I fall victim to that as well, um, where you're like, oh, the stats tell me this guy. He's going to be six times more owned. Gim is a perfect example of that this week at Sony, where everyone just just clamored on to Doug Gim. And if you were just giving me blank name at 6,800 and told me he was going to be you know, five times higher owned than everyone else in his range. That's almost an auto fade every time. That doesn't mean that player won't play well, but if you play the percentages week after week, that's really what you should be doing on DraftKings. How is this player going to do versus the players in his range week after week? You're going to get it wrong sometimes and the chalk is going to come through, but it does seem more often than not that the chalk is not going to be worth it if you can find the capable replacement in his range. And just looking at the top of the Sony leaderboard, you, know, you could have ended up on steel. You could have played the narrative hey this guy is a good ball striker yeah he's a bit iffy but if you look at the correlation courses he plays well at honda he put you know, he came second at the sony open a year ago no one wanted brendan Steele. i myself didn't want brendan Steele. but there is a case that you could have made for him if you had made that case be like oh this guy is going to be oh what one tenth the percentage of doug gim maybe that's a good way to go as you can see how you know, last week's performance can really play a factor in determining ownership with someone like Cameron Tringali, who the stats like almost every single week. And listen, if he was a great player, he would be priced in the $9,000 region, not the low sevens and high sixes every single week. So there's going to be an incredible amount of volatility with him. As you can see, two missed cuts in the swing season, but he's also turned out a top 10. He's made the cut another three times, two of those top 30s. So it's not awful. Like You're going to have to pick your poison some weeks. If you go into DraftKings or make these top 20 bets or long shot bets thinking you're going to win them all, you're just diluting yourself. That's a really stupid way to look at it. And I remember Colin Drew told me this before where NFL PGA, you get one slate per week to really go over this. And it's, you know, Sometimes there's a lot of noise in very small samples where in baseball, in basketball, you have a slate per day. You can really pile up a larger sample size to really judge if your process is going well. In golf and football, it's really difficult. You could have done everything right this week at Sony and have the perfect process 
and it may not have worked out. And you might change up your process because of that, because it didn't work out and you could have been on the right track all this time. Like, honestly, you should have like a year's worth of data to see if things are going your way. I know no one wants to do that. Like I said, I'm guilty of exactly the same thing, of not sticking to a process or not giving that process time to see if it's right or wrong. So I just have a whole bunch of unknown information. Um, one thing I might start doing is going over uh, higher stakes entries uh, that I did with some people. In full disclosure, I played two of the $100 this week. One of them is going well. The other one is not going so well. Um, and But I might start doing the $200 DraftKings single entry every single week and maybe reviewing my lineup. If that's something you're interested in, listen, I'm not a pro DraftKings player. I, I try to make good choices. In fact, I'm a losing DraftKings player. I'm up lifetime on golf, thanks to my guy. I don't play that much uh, in terms of entries every single week. I'm usually around like the, you know, 200 to 350 type range for golf. Um, and, you know, I hope to get that money back. And usually that goes to 20 entries in the $5. But I do want to start playing you know, one big lineup. How can I do that? The the bigger one that I'm doing well in this week, uh, the other one of the other ones had Gim, so that was Toast in one of the $100 single entries. The other one, uh, smaller field, I went with a pure, not pure balance lineup, but I didn't go diving into the sixes. It's Neiman, Horschel, Leishman, Munoz, Siwoo, and Carlos Ortiz. It's, uh, as we speak right now it's 27th in the 50k stinger i try to pick the lower entry ones uh, in terms of the higher stakes, you know, it's $10,000 to first prize. You know, I'm not looking to win a million here, but I would like to get some decent ROI on putting stuff in. I still have way more player uh, holes left than most of the people. I assume Carlos Ortiz is just playing awful at the moment. Oh, good. He's even through seven. All my guys are fucking even. Uh, except for Horschel, he's one under. Nice. So you can kind of timestamp when I'm doing this right now. But maybe a lineup review and how I came to those guys uh, would be something you're interested in. You can laugh at me for my terrible picks if you really want to. But um, I, I just decided to play more of a quote-unquote cash game lineup, and I thought that Horschel provided nice leverage in the eights. In fact, all of those guys provided decent uh, leverage except for Munoz. Munoz was super chalky in this contest at 26%. Everyone else, I got below 10%. I was really big on Neiman this week. I thought he was the leverage player above $10,000 because everyone wanted him. Everyone wanted Burger. Uh, answer and who was the other guy in the top? Now I completely spaced on it. Who was going to be? Anyway, there was someone, Kisner was the other one in the upper eights. I just thought, you know, if I avoid those four guys, uh, I played Burger and him a lot in sort of my like multi-entry GPPs, but I thought that fading those guys in a single entry might be the proper way to go. Uh, and I really, I thought just objectively that Neiman was going to be as good as them. So far, so good. We'll see how that ends up going. Um, but realistically, this is what I'm looking at right now. Um, it is worth noting. Let's just go back and take off some of the filters here. And again, DraftKings pricing and odds will dictate what you want to do with a lot of these guys. Let's go past 24 rounds overall. Before we go in and look at some who potential Sony sleepers, you're going to want the full context of stats too. There's always the nice Pete Dye filter down at the bottom. Three of the four rounds are going to be at a Pete Dye course this time. And you can see uh, what courses get factored into that. If you just click on the little number next to the player's names, you got travelers, American express players, travelers. This is for Patrick Rogers, by the way, not that I love Patrick Rogers. He just happened to be the first person that I saw. So let's see strokes gain total over the past 24 rounds at Pete die courses. We got Cantlay answer Keegan Streelman, Ryan Moore, Reed Reeve C. Woo. 
Kim, Paul Casey, and Brian Harmon are your top 10. Uh, some of these guys, when you get into Burns, Seifert, Sung, you'll know. John Rom, Will Gordon, all the Rom and Sung, you'll know, have enough rounds. But, you know, 12 rounds, 10 rounds, 9 rounds, 4 rounds, 4 rounds for Nasty Nate Lashley. Uh, they don't have the full compliment. Michael Gillick, 2 rounds, so... And you can kind of break that down to T to green uh, and take putting out of it. Who plays really well there? As you can see, when you get to the putting, Siwoo, uh, Paul Casey, Norin really do jump up. Yunhan Han goes from 30th to 8th uh, from total to strokes gain T to green. Uh, strokes gain ball striking. Cantlay, Griot, Rom, Moore, Duffner. And that's really interesting because you see uh, Cantlay had a good performance here in his one time through. Rom has won this event before. Duffner has won this event before. Landry has won this event before. And it's not like it's only including the rounds from this specific course. I mean, Landry has a first and a second here, so those are eight of those 24 rounds. But it's interesting to see that he's, and it's not even eight of those because they would only get two rounds at this particular course. So those are only four of the rounds that factor in here the ones that they really did well, but they still really pop out in all of this. Molinari being back in the field is super interesting this week. I feel like he he was bad in Houston. He played the Masters, missed the cut. He's 15th in Houston. Uh, a lot of that was putting-wise. That's when Ortiz ended up winning. But he gained in all of the strokes gained categories. Bad at the Masters, but when you start to sort of up your game a little bit. So I'm curious to see where he kind of comes in. This used to be a course where he could play really well, a good Pete Dye specialist. Uh, interesting to see how he can kind of go through that. What's his career rate at the American Express? Miscut 12th, 62nd, and 10th. So good year, bad year, good year, bad year. Obviously, he's going to have a good year this year. Uh, last played it a year ago when he was in the middle of his drought before he ended up like quitting golf for the year uh, before that 17, 16, and 15. Always gained a bunch off the tee here. Struggled on the greens a little bit except for in 2015. I'm just very curious to see where his game is at at the moment. Uh, other guys that might pop up, Pete Dyewise, Stanley Streelman, Reed, Redman, Answer, Strachan, Norin. Norin, yeah, I'm going to find very interesting this week. I don't remember if he ended up going overseas to play in any of those European tour events. Uh, let's go check that out here. Officialworldgolfrankings.com, up to 94th in the world. Let's see, he last played Mayakoba, so no, he didn't go overseas. He's been hit or miss, 18th miscut, 17th, 76th, 17th, 40th. Uh, he was 8th at the Northern Trust. Well, we'll see how Norton gets his game. He's someone who I would like to see kind of rebound. I like Alex Norton a lot here. You have Joel Damon who kind of pops up. The only other thing that I wanted to see, and we'll extend this to past 75 rounds to give ourselves a larger sample so we're not just getting the noise of certain courses being mixed in with some of these people. Fairways gain to see if they kind of pop up a little bit. You go to fairway slash greens on fantasynational.com and we'll see what ends up. Oh, that's just at Pete Dye courses. We'll click off the Pete Dye filter for that and just get all courses into the mix to see who hits the most fairways at some of these. If that's something I, I don't want to you know, harp too much on, it's not going to be the only thing that I look at. Armour, Moore, Reavy, T. Dunk, Stewart, Answer, Norlander, Kyle Stanley, Doc Redman, Steve Stricker, David Hearn, Chris Baker. And now I'm curious to see that if we take a less than 72-yard course, if that means some of the bombers club down a little bit to see if some of the bombers get their accuracy increased at a tournament like this. We, I, oh, I don't know what I what the hell I just clicked on there. Uh, I, I clicked off of 7,200 yards. Stupid Pat Mayo, what are you doing here? Again, this is just a part of my process. I like to just kind of look at everything and see if anything pops out for me. Uh, so past 75 rounds at courses under 7,200 yards. Stewart, Moore, Armour, Revy, Redmond, Herman, 
T-Dunk, Stricker, Landry, Stanley. Then you got your answers and Henleys. It might be a really nice spot for Henley here if uh, he doesn't end up closing well at Sony. We'll see how that ends up going. Duffner, another winner here. So yeah, I, I can see how the... I mean, it's not going to be the only narrative that ends up playing, but you see Long is inside the top. He's 21st in this stat. Winner here. Duffner, winner here, is 14th. Answer, third last or second last year is 13th. Landry, winner here, is 9th. More, I said, finished inside the top five a year ago. He is second in this category. Molinari is up there. Casey is up there. This feels like it should be a good Paul Casey course. I don't know how I'm going to judge the guys who are playing their first rounds of the year. I'll have to go back and really do some digging in to see if that really makes a difference for anyone. Any of the good players at the very bottom here? Let's see. Sammy Burns, uh, someone who has played better at this course uh, with distance over accuracy overall, but he is someone who finished inside the top 20 in his first two appearances. And everyone else is just, you know, Brooks is way down on that list. Wolf is way down on that list. Reed is way down on that list. Curious to see if just at this course in general, uh, if any of those guys end up doing a little bit better than normal. Let's click off that filter and go over to Sony. We'll go to DraftKings round four. Take that filter off once everything loads. And just check in on the stats. See if we can find any Sony sleepers who are in the field for next week. Um, And in tournament stats... Let's see how everyone is doing so far this week. Strokes gained approach. Hideki, Kokrak. Kokrak has been a victim of poor putting and really poor around the green work, although he's not in the field next week. Morikawa not playing. I can't remember if I said not is playing or not. Charlie Hoffman is playing well and not really putting well or doing well around the greens. That's interesting to see. The kids can't chip this week. But the irons are working wrong. Mike Weir. Mike Weir can't putt and just killing it with his irons right now. Straka, there's a name who everyone thought that was going to be really good. He's in 23rd as we speak right now. He's halfway home in Sunday as we're going through this at minus 11. Couldn't really putt this week, but, you know, slightly in the positives. Didn't drive the ball all that well, but decent on approach as we go through it of players who ended up playing the weekend. Let's take off round four. Just ball striking wise, I do want to see uh, Hideki. Herman is someone who could not drain a putt, but someone a good accuracy player. The you know he's he's won in the past year at Wyndham. Interesting to see. Carlos Ortiz driving the ball. Lights out. Cannot chip to save his fucking life. Um, KJ Choi, the irons. Electric. Uh, Henley doing well. Nick Hardy, uh, nice to see him up there, really driving the ball well this week. Siwoo, couldn't drain a putt. Maybe it's time to get back on the Siwoo bandwagon a little bit. Robbie Shelton, uh, can't really putt all that well this week, but doing okay. Kisner, Weirstrock, a steward. Guys all going up there in approach and ball striking wise. Munoz, and we still gaining off the tee and almost two up in approach. Uh, it's not, it hasn't been great for him, but he can't chip and can't putt this week. Uh, he is in the field for the American Express. So maybe it's a nice week to go back. A very chalky Munoz made the cup underperform for people. Curious to see what his price point comes in at. Overall, because this will include the people who missed the cut this week. Uh, let's just see ball striking. Why? Let's just factor in an approach first. Let's see. Keegan, dominating ball strike. Lost seven strokes putting through two rounds. Uh, might be a decent week to go back to him. EVR, very high up in the irons. Couldn't putt, couldn't chip for the week. Ended up missing the cut. So maybe a nice spot to go back in on him. Uh, the irons for Russell Knox were not the problem. It was everything else. Gained three strokes on approach in two rounds. Same as TPJ, Ted Potter Jr. Really nice week with the approach. These are all just guys who ended up missing the cut. Norlander, 
and DJ Trahan, both over two strokes gained on approach. Answer, the ball striking was immaculate. I'm curious to see if people want to go back to him. People aren't stupid these days either. They're going to look at the strokes gained stats and be like, oh, answer lost almost three strokes putting a stroke and a half around the greens and hit the shit out of the ball. He came second to this course last year. Let's go back to answer. That is a completely logical way of thinking about this. So I would expect him to still retain his popularity once everything comes down to it. Uh, Watney couldn't drive the ball at all. Is Watney that bad of a driver all the time? 4.2 strokes lost. He was he was the guy as the other part of the three ball with Mitchell and Taylor, uh, who just kind of, eh, he's been bad off the tee. Not this bad off the tee. This is one of his worst driving. Uh, he used to be good off the tee long-term, but over the past 20 tournaments, he hasn't been this, this bad, uh, but he hasn't been good at the same time. He's in the negatives overall. Who else can we look at here? So Vaughn Taylor's a guy that I mentioned who is playing like, all right, a little bit. The iron's been pretty good. The around the green is carrying him just a tad. K.H. Lee, good week around the greens for K.H. Lee. Berger and Webb, of course, they're playing well and they're not playing next week, so no one really cares about them. Putnam, Stanley, C.T. Pan, the Panimal. Liston Hoagie. Hoagie could be Hoagie could be a very interesting guy to go back to next week. He kind of fits that mold of... A player that was popular at the Sony Open uh, missed the cut, so he fucked everyone, myself included. I played Tom Hoagie this week, but didn't have a very poor ball striking week in the positives off the tee approach and around the greens. Uh, lost almost three strokes putting in two rounds. I mean, 2.5 strokes gained tee to green, 1.3 in ball striking. That feels like a guy who could get it back together very quickly if the putter flips. And you know maybe he can get a little bit better on his approach. You'd like to see better numbers than this. Uh, Neesmith as well. Neesmith, good driving the ball, positive in approach, lost around the greens and lost putting. So, you know, Stuff like this happens from time to time with these lower-end players, and they just don't have immaculate ball striking. They can't make up for a bad putter like someone like Adam Scott can and then go to the weekend not make a putt for the rest of time. But uh, when we think about sleepers, that's an interesting way to approach it. Sorry I went long with this, but again, check out the Euro Show. That's also long this week. It's not going to be as long in weeks to come um, going forward because we want to try to expedite this a little bit. But hey, it's, sometimes it's fun to talk about the process, talk about how we did this week, and maybe try to identify some sleepers going forward for the Sony Open. Jeff and I will be back on Monday to talk about the show. So if you can rate, review, subscribe, smash the like, do all that fun stuff to help us out as we go through everything. It's always fun going through my process with you guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Again, smash the like button to the video. Become a member at fantasynational.com right now with fantasynational.com slash mayo. And I hope you did really well at the Sony. We'll be going over our wins if we win and we'll just be sad about ourselves if we end up losing when we lose. I'm Pat Mayo. Thank Thank you all for watching. I'll see you next time. Welcome, everybody, to the first edition of the European Tour Picks and Bets episode. This is not Pat Mayo here. We got a new golf duo running the tournaments overseas for the European Tour. I am Skylar Hoke. You can find me on Twitter at SkyHookDFS. And I'm joined by my main man, Tom Jacobs. Tom, what's going on? What's up, Skylar? Good to see you. Absolutely. This is, uh, you know, a dawning of a new decade here for us and on the Mayo Media Network debuting um, our first show. So the European tour, you know, Pat and Jeff have talked the PGA for decades, it feels like. And yeah, you know, now we're, we're introing hopefully this golf space into our, you know, our love here on the European tour. So, Tom, um, introduce everybody yourself. Talk a little bit of what you do, where they can find you. 
Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter, Tom Jacobs 93 uh, host a podcast called Lost for Words, which you can find on Apple and Spotify and everywhere else that you need to look. Um, and we generally combine both events at a PGN European on one episode. Um, but, you know, we spoke, didn't we? And we wanted to try and get the European Tour a bigger focus. I know you guys have been following it for a little while now with it being on DraftKings. Um, but it's really just to take a little bit of a deeper dive into it, try and add some numbers, try and add a an opinion from overseas, if you like, having a, a European guy on there as well. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to be great. It's good to talk and uh, it's a good event to start off. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, you can hear a little accent difference between us two here. And I think that brings some more color um, to the two man that will be running every week. So um, for record, so again, this is going to be running every single week video series on the Mayo Media Network. Um, you can find us on YouTube. Make sure you subscribe to the channel on there and you'll be finding us talking every single European tour event. Um, you know, when some WGCs roll around, we can talk, um, you know, maybe some European tour focus guys that those that just follow the PGA are, um, you know, not as familiar with and every week. So my work personally, again, um, Skylar Hoke, again, you can find Twitter at Skyhook DFS. I'm a part of the, the FTN network. So work on FTN daily and FTN bets part of a, a two man podcast, the alternate shot with Axis. Um, and, you know, we are, you know, for the, the state side here, you know, we, we try to cover the European tour as much as we can. Um, always doing kind of a DFS preview, uh, which you can find there. Um, but this is always going to be recorded on Monday afternoon. So if DraftKings can hurry up with salaries, we'll always kind of touch on those a little bit, myself and Tom here. But mainly this is going to be focused on the betting odds. And we're very lucky this week that we're recording on a Sunday here. Odds are out early for the start of the European tour. But before even diving into the field, let's talk a little bit, Tom, kind of on you know the European tour as as a whole and, and why you enjoy handicapping it and, and kind of what brings your passion for this side of golf. Yeah. I mean, so for me personally, obviously as, you know, as a, a younger adult, it was a case of that was the first thing you saw on TV, right? So you're starting at a weekend, Saturday, Sundays is the first thing on TV. PJ tour starts a little bit later at night. Um, you know, the names are a bit more familiar as Roy McIlroy, Lee Westwood, Justin Rose, the regulars are on the European tour, a lot of them split time. Um, but what I find now is that most weeks I kind of enjoy both events, but there are some weeks where there's a bit of a dull event on the PJ Tour or vice versa with the European Tour. And it's kind of, it's nice to have an interest in both because then you don't, you know, you don't get bored any one week. And I think the real unique element for the European Tour is I think it's a bit more open on who can win in the tournament. I think, um, I've spoken before on the PJ Tour, I'm not so worried about distance. A lot of people think it's ruining the game, but I think that it does limit the amount of people that can win right on the PJ tour. I think it's probably five, six events a year where anyone can win. And then the other guy, other tournaments, the guys have to have a, you know, extremely good ball striking week. I've seen week everything to go well um, if they're a shorter hitter. Whereas on the European tour, I think generally speaking, there are obviously advantages to being a longer hitter, but I think that the shorter guys can compete most weeks. And, you know, you're going from country to country, the green surfaces are not as well documented, um, but there's definitely a correlation between, and we'll get into this a bit later on, of guys that play certain continents well. Uh, one of the guys I'm going to talk on later plays really well in the Middle East, and, and that's where we are this week. And I think, especially for this week, it's really good because the, the European field regulars get to watch Justin Thomas come over this week, um, and that adds a little bit of spice to the field. But what it also does is 
bring the odds up for a lot of other guys that you'd want to bet. And that's really good for us this week. So, yeah, I think it adds a unique element. I think we still we still rely on the big names coming over to, to really boost the audience. Um, but hopefully, you know, you know, with us talking about it every week and, and bringing it to a bigger audience, that should uh, help things along. Yeah, I completely agree. And obviously growing up, you know, in the States here, you know, my memories of golf aren't always focused on the European tour, but since I have um, kind of come along more on the analytical and statistical analysis side of things, um, it's where I actually really fell in love with the European tour personally, because there wasn't strokes gain data until I think end of 2018 um, on yeah, the European and it's, tour. And it's still it, not as developed. So it's correct. Um, but this was uh, an opportunity, you know, I like to attack DFS games and betting markets that I feel there are edges or opportunity to take advantage of and trying to get early on into the statistical kind of side of things for the European tour was something that was quite successful the last couple of years and, and really seeing the, the talent that's over there, getting to know these guys and profiling their games as they make their way, the, the best of them make their way to the PGA tour, compete in majors. You know, you get the, that one, 2% guy on draft. Kings or somebody who is 250 to one who might top five at major, you know, obviously everyone will talk about, especially when we talk Pat and Jeff, you know, the, the Danny Willett 2016 masters championship, you know, the odds that they were able to get Willett at, um, you know, those guys exist every single year on the European tour and are competing in majors are competing. So DraftKings does offer, you know, smaller contests for the European tour, but the betting market, you know, hundred to one odds. It doesn't matter where you are, um, you know, and that's really what we'll kind of focus in on here. And to your point too, I mean, there is a sense that you might fall in love or not fall in love. You might be able to bring more of the bigger names, bring more popular, the Rolex series events. Like we have this week, you pull over Americans potentially, or you um, get the, the stronger fields. But I think one thing that I personally love is just the different course types. You get the links fields, you wake up on a windy Scottish morning and you see the Scottish open with, you know, guys battling to stay below par, um, you know, like those type of things don't exist as often on the PGA tour. You might get them for a major, but in the European tour, it feels like once a month, you might run into uh, these type of courses. Yeah. And I think as well, you know, speaking to the edge on DraftKings, that was the first thing that I thought when, when they started offering European tour tournaments on DraftKings, I thought, well, here we go. This is my chance to make an edge because for, for me, DraftKings and DFS wasn't something I was, was good at. I was always good at just betting and picking things. And, and I fell into a trap of picking the, the four or five guys I was betting and put them into a lineup and, and made it fit. Um, and that and that doesn't work. Whereas I thought, you know, European tour, I'd have a bit more of an edge. And and you can tell as the results have got worse for me on the on the on the DFS that guys are picking things up, and and that's closing the gap. And that's good. That's what we want to see. You know, guys are getting sharper. Um, but there is still an element to it. I think that you know, there's a there's a lot of guys that will run numbers and and won't ever watch an event. And there's there's certain guys that will look great on a profile, um, but then we'll watch them chip on a Saturday afternoon or Saturday morning for you guys and and you know, get the heebie-jeebies. So, you know, there, there's certainly something to that as well. And like you said, uh, we do get Danny Willett. obviously won the Masters. I think Victor Perez played well last year in, in a PGA Championship or USA. I can't remember it was. Um, you know, these guys once they get a run of form going. I mean, Cyril Hatton's gone. You know astronomically in the last year or so but once you're playing well and you're playing good golf it doesn't matter where you're doing it but it does need to start somewhere and I think that 
you know, I think you see it when the PGA Tour guys come over, they generally play well. So you see, I think Abraham Anser came over to Saudi last year, played really well, but they still don't dominate the events. They still don't win. There's still there's still guys that can hold their own on this side of the thing. And then when they do go to the PGA Tour, okay, they may have a tough transition. Uh, I think of guys back in the day, I mean, Gonzalo Fernandez Castaño was playing really well on the European Tour, really struggled on the PGA Tour massively, dropped down to Corn Ferry, still found it tough. And that speaks to the depth of the field's in stateside um but it also shows they are golfers they have the ability and they will have good weeks and this is this is obviously something we're going to allude to here and i think this tournament like you say there's a lot of well-known guys and and the best guys on the, in the field this week are guys that play well on the pga tour right and in majors so the ones that we sort of speak of the winning chances this week they're not going to be a huge surprise to people but there'll be a couple of guys that we mentioned especially one i've got here that, that maybe won't be well known to to the american side um and, and that's what we want to do. That's what we want to bring to the audience. Yep. And completely agree. And I guess before we even, you know, tap into the top of the odds board, what is your normal betting style each week? I know you, you mentioned people running numbers, not watching. I know you're in front of the TV watching, you know, pretty much any golf that, that comes along, you know, how would you quantify or describe the way you approach uh, your handicapping style? Yeah. So for me, first of all, I used to, so I used to write first before I was actually doing, you know, podcasting and, and I generally tried to take one from the top of the market from someone from, from the favorite to, to 25, 30 to one. And that would be my main guy, you know, point states and him would be pretty big. Um, and then I just, you know, dropped down the field 66 to 100 to one. And I'd try and have a long shot in there. And I, and I found that I was kind of trying to force a long shot in there to try and have some value and try and give someone a, a differentiator. Um, and then I quickly realized that actually they don't win that often and that's why they're the opposite they are. Um, so yes, by all means mention them and, and there will always be guys that will be over hundred to one. I mean, it's happened on the, the PJ tour this week. You know, there's plenty of guys that are going to be hundred to one that are going to have a great chance, but don't just force them in there. And, and that's the thing I'm trying to quickly get away from is don't just be seen to say, right, well, I had this big 150s one shot. I'm going to give you 10 reasons why you can win let's focus on the guys that really can win. And I think you're pretty similar in that respect. Yeah. And I've tried, I think in a way you've described the PGA tour very, very well in saying that often the odds of individuals or the courses, they don't differentiate all that much. You might see somebody like a Kevin now this week, sneak back to 80 to one. And it seems like, okay, there's some value there. You hop onto that opportunity and it's really numbers based on the yeah. European tour guys will will come off of multiple missed cuts and find where they you know are better suited for better time of the year for them different style of course that really sets up for for that type of golfer and that's where you know the the opportunity is in my opinion and how i approach the european tour where i may have guys that i fancy consistently um but it's just more you're getting odds on these profiles of golfers that I think can compete when they're on and I will take those chances there. So yeah, I'm not as numbers based when it comes to the European tour. And I'm, I'm really excited to, to speak to you every single week because you bring in the analysis of, of maybe, um, course correlations or narratives or you know just a more familiarity with the conditions over there and I, I think that really brings you know a great element to this two-man here how we can discuss yeah I mean you know Jason the guy that I did a podcast with on Lost of Words he's very narrative based he you know he'll talk for 20 minutes ago really convoluted into a narrative and by the end of it I'm baffled as to where he's got to but 
it does seem to work out. And and I think the, the main thing, right, that we, we touched on is that there's probably less information on the European tour. So if you want to find something, you want to get an edge, you need to go hunting. The PGA Tour, there's great models that you guys use, um, that, you know, that are right there, you know, Fantasy National, FTN, they're, they're there in front of you and you don't have to look too far. But for the European Tour, you have to do some, <laughs> some serious hunting uh, unless you just want to take the guys blindly. I mean, there's going to be a, a list of names here, you know, Tommy Fleetwood, Rory McIlroy, you don't need, we don't need to tell you why to bet those guys, right? But there's going to be someone down from 40 to 1 below where you're going to need some convincing, and, and that's what we're here to do. Yep, 100%. And with that, I think we will walk right into the Abu Dhabi HSBC Championship, um, played at Abu Dhabi Golf Club. Again, this is the first European Tour event of the 2021 season. Like all golf last year, there was a bit of hiatus that happened um, due to COVID-19 and being able to fit in still a significant amount of the schedule last year. Um, Right now, there should potentially be a couple more events added. We're going to run three weeks in a row with European tour events, um, some strong ones to kick off of the year. Um, and again, we're at Abu Dhabi golf club. This is a par 72, um, almost 7,600 yards, 7,583 yards to me, it sets up for, for ball striking this week. What, what are your thoughts? Yeah, absolutely. It does. I mean, and, and again, you know, it's easy to say that. And most weeks, that, that's the case, right? That, you know, it, it is a, if you're, you're going to win, you're going to have to ball strike well. I mean, you see Nick Taylor this week, he's putting phenomenally and keeping himself in the tournament. But it, there are tournaments where you have to hit the ball well. And this is one of them. And I think one of the things that I really focused on is the familiarity of the area. So the Middle East is a certain type of area to play golf in. Some people don't feel as comfortable there. Some people love it. Some people love visiting Dubai. Uh, the, the grass surfaces, you know, some people are just really suited to it. And we'll see this as we go along the, the numbers here. But the thing that I like for this event, and we were speaking just off air, is that, that a lot of big players come over, PJ Tour guys get paid a lot of money to make an appearance. Uh, they don't necessarily win. You know, they, they take up a, a big market share and the two guys that we're going to allude to in a minute take up a massive amount of the, of the market. And they give you a decent number on some guys that we want to go into. Yep. And you look at previous winners, Lee Westwood won here uh, to kick off his 2020 that ended up him being the race to Dubai champion. And I want to always preface as we talk here um, and compare what that would be on the European tour. For those that don't know, race to Dubai is the FedEx cup, you know, standings type of year long points acquiring um, standings as it goes. And this Rolex series event that we refer to, there's four of them during the year, basically boosted prize pools, boosted points for the race to Dubai and brings in the best fields each and every year. So, you know, Westwood started off his campaign for 2020 that really put himself in the position to be the race to Dubai champion because he won here. And again, 60 to one, he won Lowry put the lights out in 2019 when he won at 45 to one and then 17 and 18, Tommy Fleetwood went back to back uh, winning in here. And then if you went back to the fifth year ago, actually Ricky Fowler did, um, um, take home championship um, in 2016. So that's our previous um, five winners here. And that just heads the top of the market as we go. And, you know, you, you can't start talking about this tournament without talking about Rory McIlroy and Justin Thomas. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and that's the thing is that, you know, you've just gone through the list there and, and every winner has been top class, you know, every, it's not a guy that comes out and surprise, you know, you go one year before it was Gary Stahl who'd, because Kaima collapsed, he got the win. But 
Um, you know, generally speaking, first and second are, are, are the top players in the field or, or one of them. Um, Rory McIlroy, I'm very harsh on Rory McIlroy because he's because he's so good. I think that when he struggles, there's something wrong. And I thought that he was really in a funk last year. We, I thought it was, he sort of alluded to it being no fans there. Then it turned out, I think that it was probably because he knew he had a baby on the way. And I think a lot of that had impacts. And and you can't second guess the mentality, right? You, you try to, but it's really hard to get into that. Um, the one thing I would say about him here, he has a fantastic course history, best in the field consistently, but hasn't won. So he's a lot of seconds, a lot of thirds. Um, and and I wonder if that's a little bit of, you know, first event of the season, um, a bit of rust. And, and, and I think that might happen this year, especially because of what happened last season. I don't know what your thoughts are on him this week. Yeah, it's a tough one. I mean, if we're, we're talking strictly betting right now, I mean, there's just no way that I am going to start off my, my betting card for the week with Roy, Rory McIlroy at six to one, you know, his, and his history is, is beautiful to your point since 2010, he missed one cut outside of that. He's finished second or third every single time he's teed it up here. And that's six or seven times he's been here, you know? Um, but Rory, what's, what's odd and what I'm kind of, um, you know, not questioning, but wondering for this year for him is, is he going to play more on the European tour? Is this alliance between the PGA tour and European tour going to be, you know, Rory pushing a little bit more over there. He's been quite harsh at times um, when speaking about the European tour um, and he didn't tee up one time last year over here. So it it comes off a a 10 week layoffs is the last time we saw him. Unlike Justin Thomas, who we just saw in Hawaii, um, I would lean JT absolutely between the two, even though, um, you know, he hasn't seen the course before, but I still can't find myself back in JT at what, seven to one? I just don't, I mean, for the people that listen to the podcast, I don't really back favorites. I don't, I don't see the value in it. I don't, obviously, well, there is sometimes where they absolutely have to bet them. They, they're rightly favorite. And if it's 10 to one, it's Dustin Johnson in the field. So be it. Roy McIlroy always has that niggling thing about him where I can't click a number that's single digits. JT, not so much, but, you know, it's, it's going to go one or two ways this week for him, I think. I think he's either going to be delighted to get out of the PGA Tour bubble, get away from all this, you know, hoopla about what he did, and, and, you know, and we won't go into that because we don't need to. Um, and he'll really relish the fact that he's on the European Tour and can get away from that, or it's going to be a distraction. And, and I just don't need that kind of debate in my head when he's 7-1. to one. He can absolutely steamroll the event. So can Rory. They're both very capable of doing so. But I think you'll be surprised by the end of the week. You know, I think they'll both probably be top 10 or thereabouts at least. Um, but I think there'll be plenty of other guys that will, will challenge that we'll go into. Yep. Couldn't agree more. And I, I really like that they're both here because it does give us very good odds at what I think are, um, you know, kind of the rest of this board. You see Tommy... Uh, Fleetwood, Matthew Fitzpatrick, Tyrell Hatton lining up the next three on the odds boards. Tommy's 12, Fitzpatrick's 14, Hatton's 14. Is there anybody here of those three that that you would um, be starting your card with before we really get into some juicier odds? Again, like Rory McIlroy, I'm very harsh on Tommy Fleetwood. Um, so good. Like he, like the way he hits the ball... But it's his poem, right? I mean, he 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 lost out in the playoffs for Aaron Rye. No disrespect to Aaron Rye, but if he wants to win a tournament, should be getting that done. Um, he lost in Portugal as well. He finished third. I didn't really think he was going to be that 
fired up for that event. Anyway, I thought it was more of a you know a major sort of prelude. But yeah, so I don't think I'd want to go to him, even though again he's had those two wins. There's no reason he's had a second. There's no reason to think he won't go and do it. Um, Hatton again. He had such a good year last year. It's whether he can replicate that. It's, it's golf's weird like that, isn't it? It's one of those ones where if they play well the week before or the weeks before, you kind of worry about how long they can sustain it. Whereas in football or basketball, or whatever, you, you're riding a hot hand. So um, I think Fitzpatrick would be the guy for me. I think he's played well here. And, you know, when he has played well here, I think he got that win before Christmas. Um, and I think, you know, I had Billy Foster on the podcast last year and he was saying we, we went through the fact he finished, like, I think it was eight times he finished second in a, you know, in a calendar year. And you wondered what it was that was making a difference. And he said, there's not, there's nothing there. You know, he does everything well. Um, he can hit it a bit further when, you know, when he needs to. Um, for me, it just, it seems to be that like, he doesn't really, if he has his B game, it, he doesn't seem to get around as much. Whereas, you know, like a Rory can kind of scrape a, a top 10 without playing his best. And, so that would be the thing that would put me off for him, and I'd, I'd look further down the odds for me. Yeah, uh, I mean, again, excellent players, all three of them. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, Hatton got his main PGA Tour victory last year at the Arnold Palmer Invitational. I wouldn't be surprised if Fitz, you know, was able to come through on the PGA Tour this year. I'm expecting big things. I'm expecting him to play even more over there than he did last year, it seems like, with some more status that he's now created. But again, yeah, when it comes down to it, um, Tommy's not the one that, for me, it's like he's two different golfers. The European Tour Tommy is... He leads in ball striking every single week he's over there. It's can he do mediocre or better than the field on his putting? And he wins. He lost to Rye because he couldn't make a three-footer. You know, like those type of things is what kind of haunts Tommy in a sense. So to me, I'm not starting here. I think the odds get much better as we start to go. And again, we're relishing that there is top caliber um, talent in this field because you get to the 28s through almost 50 to one here and we won't list every single golfer or else me and tom are going to talk for three hours every well, i mean that's week. what i do every week but it you correct know, it you go to loss for words <laughs> for for that one um but if we if we go through who to you um sticks out in the 30s are you starting your car or i guess 30s to 40 are you starting your car with anybody here yeah, so there's two guys here for me. Um, I went all Kevin Costner on my first pick and, and wrote down this guy no matter what, uh, and that was Martin Keimer. Uh, six years, nearly seven years now since his last victory, and that obviously rings a lot of alarm bells, right? There's a lot of uh, whether he can do it anymore. Two-time major winner, WGC winner, former world number one. He can get the job done. He's won here three times. Uh, I think he's missed a cut twice in, I think it was in nine or 10 starts here. You know, ever since he's ever played here, the first missed cut was on his debut and then he went off and wrecked three wins. So for me, even when he wasn't playing his best golf, he was playing comfortably well around here. And I just think he has a, a comfort level to it. Now, as I you know mentioned previously, he did lose out in 2015. He should really have four wins here. That's how good he is. That's how good he is here. Um, and I just think that he, he showed enough last year to suggest that he can get the win done. And more importantly as well, he's talking about narratives. He needs a big year. Um, he spoke last year about how gutted he was to be watching the Masters from his sofa. Uh, and that was a massive impact on, on him. And, and this is a guy that's used to playing major championships, used to winning major championships. He changed his whole game and lost it to try and win the Masters. That's how important they are to him. Massive Ryder Cup guy as well. 
So those two factors, the fact that he's playing on this course that he loves, the fact that he, he looked like he should have won last year I and mean, he lost out to John Catlin and Valderrama as well. Um, he's had a couple of really good chances last year and, and he has, there's no getting away from it. He's thrown them away. It's been a long time, but we just saw Harris English win for the first time in seven years. I know it's a different tour, but it happens, right? These guys, once they get back to playing the golf they're playing, they do get their win and he's playing that way. And say so this course is a perfect fit for him and I'll start with him at 33 to one. Yeah, I mean, there's not many holes to pick when you get that number outside of the fact it has been 2014 since he has a victory to his name. You know, Keimer was second um, of those with a legit sample size and strokes gained approach. Um, and to your point, I mean, he, he loves this course. If it wasn't for the 75 that he shot on Sunday in 2015, he'd have four victories here. Um, and I mean, he, he does run very well with the putter. He's, he's a good, I think he gets a knack, at least in my opinion, sometimes that he doesn't do it on the greens when he was, you know, 80 percentile, believe of those of guys in this field, averaging a little over a quarter of stroke per round on the European tour putting, um, you know, you couple that with his really, really good approach game. It's just, can he be okay around the greens that Texas wedge that he loves, you know, is he going to be able to do that? And then off the tee, you know, he's, he's neutral. Um, I probably not starting there. I think we're going to align on this next pick is, um, I, I'm a notorious Victor Perez backer. You're aligning with me this week. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't normally go into Victor Perez. I find that the value is always a little bit gone on him because of, um, you know, how quickly and you know, he got those wins. Um, you know, he's looking at 14 to one. This is the thing with the European. So you get big discrepancies in fields, right? So he goes to, uh, the Scottish or, you know, a smaller event and he's 14 to one, 20 to one. And, and you, you don't want to pull a bullet, but you know, it's 30 to one here. Um, a second at this, at this course. And he's, a, he's an elite player, right? You know, he can't get away from it at the moment, the way he's playing, he's an elite player. Um, 14th at the Scottish open second at the BMW PJ and seventh, just at the DP world before Christmas. Um, he's been in great form. And and like I said, you know, for close of a 63 here last season. So that would be the, the factors for me that makes him good for you. What, what about you? Yeah, I just, I'm in love with this game. And then when, it, <laughs> when we come to courses like this, you know, where he can really excel, like he did at Wentworth this past year, he wasn't even in form, you know, when he, when he really played, came into Wentworth, you got good odds on him. And I mean, he was right there with Hatton until that back nine when Hatton, you know, took off. And I mean, Victor Perez, I would argue is top five ball striker on the European tour averaged over a stroke and a half per round. If you add off the tee and approach together it, again, a lot of these guys, when we might say we're, we're no putt guys are, are, are the ones that they're when their game, when they can at least be a little bit better than the field, that's a top, that's placing the each way, you know, that's finishing the top five. And that is the guys I like to take chances on, especially as we go deeper down the board, but you're getting great odds on Perez. He's somebody that I think his game, and he hasn't really, I guess, PGA championship, he finished 21st. Um, but if he gets a more of a sample size state side, I think his game sets up to have a PGA tour card 
I, I mean, he was sneaky. Okay. At Augusta until Sunday. Um, I think he shot. Well, I think he opened, let's see what he opened 70, 71. He struggled on Saturday, but I mean, Perez was fringe top 25 for a little bit at Augusta, you know, this type of course is perfect for his game. So what, I mean, he was at three, six, five, 30, 30 to one. I'm, I'm sure there's going to be some 33s. And again, we're recording this on Sunday. There's some early markets overseas that have on Sunday, early markets overseas have had this price for a couple of days stateside. We're going to see those come in and Victor Perez for me is the first one on the card. And I think just, just before we, we move on from him is the other thing is that I think what people were wondering whether he could carry the form on, you know, he's playing so well and so such a high level. Can he really sustain that? And that was my question mark really. And he's, he's ended the year after a little rough spell doing exactly what he had done earlier in the year. And, and he was up there. He's going to be on the Ryder cup team. And, and that was a massive impact for him. And, you, you wonder whether he's going to crumble under that pressure of trying to make that team now or whether he's going to be right up for him. I mean, we saw Matt Wallace uh, in 2018. He got three wins to try and get onto the team. Um, some people just surge towards it, like Sergio. Um, they absolutely love trying to make that team. And I think he'll be a guy like that. He'll relish opportunities he's got. And, and why not start well here this week when he played well so 12 months ago? Yep. And, and another guy who was fringe Ryder cup, who got his first P or first European tour win um, at a little funky Cypress showdown was Bob McIntyre. Um, you know, the, the stud Scottish lefty young ball striker who, I, I mean, I, I love, love his talent. You're going to hear guys that we talk about every week. And, and McIntyre for me is somebody that we see people picking for majors. I know Pat mentioned him, I think at the PGA championship was somebody he's hopping on his odds right now. You know, McIntyre was an example in 2019 of the European guys who are priced at long odds, who can, you know, finish inside the top 10. He finished sixth at the open championship. So McIntyre's talent, it's, he, he just gets very short odds sometimes in this European tour event. So unfortunately I, I can't pull the trigger um, when he's side by side by Perez, when I, I kind of do still think Perez is a leg above him um, in that sense. But is there anybody near the fifties that you're on or that you're interested in a little bit? Well, before just before we move on from McIntyre, the thing for me was I was waiting for him to prove it. Everyone kind of rushes to bet these guys based on potential. Um, you know, like he's going to be a superstar, so I must back him. And it's not kind of like a fear of missing out uh, aspect. You know, do I miss his first win? And that's what I felt like people were doing. Then he wins the Cyprus, and and I was kind of like, yeah, okay, well he has won. I can't really argue that anymore. But you know, where do you put that in terms of performance? Um, now I would say he's. Again, I think another thing that people fall in love with is a left-handed golfer. If they, if they you know, they look great, um, then people get really excited about him. He is a great golfer. The thing that bothers me is that when he's on, he looks really good with his putting, um, but he can sneakily get really bad and really short on some of his putts as well. Um, so I don't. I prefer, like you say, just take him in a bigger field, or rather take him in WGC at a larger odds, or rather take him in a major at triple digits, and try and cash the each way, and trying to hope that he wins an event, especially like this when there's you know, four or five, six guys that are probably really see a lot better than he is. And he's going to now with his official world golf ranking going to be on WGCs this year. He's fringe top 50, you know, a good early spring gets him inside the masters lefty at the masters. You know, he's going to be bet by pretty much everybody. When we talk there, he's going to be in that lefty low lefty market. I'm excited. Actually, they just announced that WGC Mexico is not going to be played at Chapultepec, but it's going to come to the concession golf club on the West side of Florida. It's actually only 20 minutes from me. So 
the, the reason I want to go is I want to see McIntyre in person. <laughs> so walk, walk some holes with him, but that Cypress showdown victory he had is the perfect type of golfer. He is because he's guaranteed almost two low rounds where he's best in the field or, or top of the field with that. Cause technically on that four day stroke average, he didn't win that event. And for no. those that don't follow again, the European tour introduces, unfortunately this year, they don't have as any of them, but they like to have different style events. They used to have the Belgian knockout, which was a 36 hole stroke play. Then you would go into match play from there. They had the super six, which was six hole um, matches that you continue on bracket style after it was 36 holes to get into that. They had the Cypress showdown this past year, which was 36 holes, regular play, take the top 32 and then cut it down after one round on Saturday, lowest scores, top 16 advance to Sunday, lowest score on Sunday wins. So it set up perfectly for McIntyre's game. As long as you got the Sunday, it didn't matter how you perform there. And he went out, I think he shot 63 on Sunday um, to, to be there. So, you know, again, at, at 33 to one here, um, probably not on my betting card, um, but DraftKings, he sets up a lot well too, because he gets a ton of birdies. But yeah, um, and, and that's what you say there is that it was, and that was the thing that bothers me the most. It was, it was almost tailor-made for him. He gets hot at the right time. If he can just go into Sunday and go, right, well, low scores wins, here we go attacks the pins he hasn't got a choice it's not like he's trying to preserve a lead or anything like that when it comes to a 72 hole stroke play format there's there's not questions to be asked because i don't think he's ever really thrown too much away but it's still there to be seen right going into the 50s one market and a guy that really impressed last uh last year uh is sammy valimaki and and you know he again it was one of those ones he won early on he won at the aman open um, at long odds and you know he's new to the European tour and every, everyone got really excited about him rightly so he's he went for a little bit of a dip mid-season then really come to light again just before the US Open um, and, I, and I think he will go well here he finished well in Dubai just before Christmas it's just again I've got those two guys there in Perez and Kymer at that kind of range and I, I feel like I'd, I want to kind of go to the next stage but he would be a guy for me that especially like a DraftKings play he would be absolutely superb in that area I think yeah, I mean, Valamaki, Pat refers to him as the finish flash. You know, <laughs> he had multiple victories on the pro golf tour. One is an amateur, you know, as he started out as 2019. And that's what brought people onto him at the European Open. I know Ben Coley, um, for those that, you know, follow the European tour space, one of the most popular writers on there, and many others were on him at what, like 275 to one, you know, some some really bomb odds um, for him at the Omen Open where he came through in the win. And then to your point, he fell off the map, you know, 38th followed by three missed cuts. And then we show up and again, fell off the map, golf stopped for for three months, you know two of those or those three missed cuts were all his first events back. And then he finds life in Wales with a sixth, a second, and, and then hits, hits his speed, you know, and he was right there for some victories down the stretch. Um, he is arguably the best putter on the European tour. He can roll the rock. Um, I'm not pulling the trigger for betting here. I have more interest in somebody side by side, um, with him that I have some injury question marks about, um, Thomas Peters clue everybody he's, in on, on what happened to him. So, <laughs> yes. so yeah, go ahead. Yeah. He, he injured his hand. I can't remember exactly how he did it. I'm sure you'll know the exact story. Cause you like he fell down the stairs. There you go. And, and this is the type of guy he is. And, and he's, if he isn't going to injure his hand falling down the stairs, he's going to injure it 
throwing a tantrum in a bunker. I've literally seen it firsthand at Wentworth. He smashed into a bunker. He's smashed an iron over his neck. He will injure himself at some point. So um, that's what you get with Thomas Peters. But the course history is absolutely superb. Loves top five finishes here. Is generally speaking, probably should have won more than he has done. He's a Ryder Cup player. Um, everyone kind of likened him early on to Colsarts because obviously the Belgium link, he you know, hits it long. Um, and I think should the hand be okay, then this is the perfect course for him. And, and you're not going to get these odds on him. He's one of these guys that, that we were alluding to at the start that you're only going to get these numbers on them when Rory and JT and that are in the field. So if you like him, this is the place to play him. Um, yeah, he, he's a great player. And it, it's just the one thing that I, going back a bit to Sammy Valamaki, and then I don't know this sort of comes into Peters as well, that the European tour was so disrupted last year, they had to put on back-to-back -back events in in England and, and Wales was on the same course and things like that. And it's hard to put stock into the results because I felt like it was really easy to go um, and just stay in England for an extended period of time and just go hotel to hotel, resort courses. They're not tough. Um, and did they just pick up because they were comfortable there? It's really hard to quantify. And I think now this season, we're going to see who's who's really in form. And, and Thomas Peters, the guy, you know, I think he's 41, 45 to 1, is is a really good guy to pick up if the hand is okay. I know he's put up a video since saying that he's uh, getting back to his best. Yeah, and, and that's where my question lie. Because Peak Peters is probably number two, in my opinion, to Tommy on ball strikers on the European tour of consistency of it, of those guys that play all over here a lot. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, that to me, I mean, we saw it at the PGA championship. I mean, he was what the 36 hole leader or leading on, on even Saturday morning. Um, he was somebody that for, for my end that I had in my, my main DraftKings lineup that won me a lot of money that week because he had a ton of birdies. And again, that game travels. He has a top four at the masters, um, you know, a second place finish in California on the PGA tour at the Genesis, you know, Peter's elite part of the game, which is still right there. In my opinion, he's still young. He's got it. So I'm, I'm going to, I probably won't when we re re review our betting cards at the end of the day, he's probably not a lock until I hear something from him an oppressor, or if there's some, something we can get some information on, on how he's feeling. Cause his video he put up, I was like, you know, it looked like a 60% swing saying I'm back. Um, I just got to hear it if he feels okay, but that number you don't get often for him. No, and I think the trouble is with the Instagram traps and Twitter traps, everyone's swing looks great on video, right? They, they won't put it up, will they? I mean, I, I mean, I can put up a good swing if I've recorded it a hundred times. So, but it's it's really easy to fall in that trap, and and that's the one thing that worries for me. Like you say, it's best just to wait for him in the interview. If he says, "Oh yeah, you know, I'm coming back and I'm nearly there," then you're not quite sure. If he says fully healed, I'm good to go. This is a course I love. Then then you can be more bullish on him. And just this is an area now as we get just past him here that there's a lot of guys that have a lot of potential i mean adria announced at 70 to 1 and 60 to 1 that sort of number is is a great ball striker there's still some question marks over whether he can get over the line but he finished i think he was 22nd on debut here um he's certainly a guy that people he's going to have his backers because this is the area now that really highlights my point you won't get these numbers on these guys in three four five weeks time when once this middle eastern swing is done these are going to be the favourites again. So if you like a guy, you think they can win, now's the time to do it. In the case of Arnold, I'm going to go a different way. But I know there's a guy here that you like as well at this range. Yeah, I mean, the one that that really stands out, I'm going to go 
all the way to 80 to one. And he was, he, he finally got his first victory after he had sniffed it all year long. And it ended up being, I think at a spot where most people didn't back him after so many of us were, were on him at each of his events. I mean, what he lost in a playoff and at the Mauritius open um, and it's Antoine Rosner um, to get what he did that, that rookie year, um, you know, coming off the challenge store. And again, for those that aren't familiar, the corn Ferry tour mold, you know, is the challenge tour for the European tour. Now, the one thing that I'm bummed that we don't get in 2021 is, or we didn't get last year, I guess, to feed into the year is, is qualifying school Q school. Um, the, the European tour still has it like they used to, um, you know, for the PGA, like they still have for the corn Ferry. So there's not status changes as we start this year. It's the same golfers we worked with each and every year. Um, you know, you don't get, the Valamakis that, that are able to get the starts, the, the guys that we'll talk on a little bit, Valamaki got through because he, he made it to final stage of Q school, but they take the top 15 graduates from the challenge tour. They get European tour cards. And that was Antoine Rosner was one of the best, of the bunch when multiple times on the challenge tour and was just a steady, steady golfer. I mean, if you look at him over the course of the year, I mean, he's arguably I mean, probably top 20 in performance on last year of those with sample size. I mean, without waiting for the field, he gained just under a stroke and a half per round. Um, and, and, you know, he, he was right there until the golf and Dubai championship when Sunday he, he blitzed the field. I mean, he took Andy Sullivan out and, you know, he got his first victory and to see him to get 80 to one, we're in that area of the, of the world that you talked about, you know, we're, we're staying there where he felt so comfortable. Um, I just think it's stealing at that price. They're, they're begging you to bet him. All right. Cause the good point you made there about the corn ferry to the PGA is one of the things that a couple of guys have spoken to have gone from challenge tour. They've said that they've made it, they found it hard to adjust the European tour because the challenge tour courses were set up so tough. Um, but it was a case of, you know, really solid play. And he got to the Europeans, always had a slight bit easier and the scoring's a bit deeper and they struggled to adjust to that sometimes. Rosner obviously didn't. Um, and it's a bit the same like the Corn Ferry saw, you know, these guys are shooting mid-20s under par and then they've got to go in and do it again, uh, even so on the PGA Tour. And I think I think the gap now is closing in terms of quality for graduates. I think that we do see these guys adapting very quickly. It's just who does it. And the thing I liked about Rosner, and we spoke about off-air, I, I think it's important to have a start at this golf course, at least, even if it's a miscut, just to spend two days there to get used to the course, see the layout, see the grass. Um, Rosner doesn't have that. But what he does do is has that win in, in Dubai. And I think that just having that in this area is key. I mean, there's a lot of guys here. There's Laurie Kanza, there's Wilco Nineaber, who's going to be a name that's going to come up every week when we talk about it. You know, there's these guys that are really, really popular um but they just haven't got the start here and they haven't really got middle eastern form either so i think the fact that rosner's got that win there is key yep completely agree and um we'll stay on nine number there i mean he for those that don't know or, or just spend one morning watching the european tour when he's in a featured group and you'll non-stop hear about Which how long often. this guy is it <laughs> yeah. is it really is i mean he averaged you know close to 15 yards further than anybody else in driving distance and again that driving distance is pulled from just two holes that they base it on you know he was driving it well over 400 yards when we were at elevation and they acted like they'd never seen it before of course you know you have to put things in perspective but the kid is long it's more of a cam champ than a bryson type of swing too where it's so pure he's so young 
And we, and we get these South Africans that end up, you know, just really being some of the best golfers in this field. I mean, we'll talk Garrick Higo in probably a little bit. Um, you know, we saw Jaden Trey Scaper making his way up there. This is the, like the future of golf almost often. I mean, Eric Van Royen, of course, is on the PGA tour now making starts. Um, and that's kind of these young guys that you have to understand the moment. I mean, again, these numbers fluctuate too. If you don't get a win out of them, like we talked with McIntyre, you know, their numbers are almost unbettable. And, and Nineber down at 70 or even 80, I just, he kind of uh, collapsed a little bit when Joaquin B. Hansen won. Um, uh, what event was that? That would have been uh, one of the South second African to last. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. in the South African swing. Yep. And so like, you know, that, that was tough, but I know you have somebody you prefer to nine number in this range who just has much more comfortability and course form here. Yeah. So I think that for me, I would go into go a little bit even further on is Jordan Smith. Um, and he is the epitome of team. No putt. Like if, if anybody else puts for him, he will win golf tournaments at a pretty regular clip this is what you get with these ball strikers, right? You have to take them in the, the, not even just the courses, but the areas that they've shown form. And Jordan Smith absolutely loves the Middle East. Um, just, he's played four times here. He's never missed a cut. He's got an 11th and a 21st, which on the face of it is nothing too exciting. Uh, but when you start looking deeper, um, he finished 12th at the DP World Tour, but he was actually right in a hunt there. Could have won, but had a really tough final day, which is no mean feat when you're playing against the guys trying to win the, you know, the race of Dubai. Uh, he was sixth foot Qatar when he was uh, just two shots behind in 2017. Sixth foot the Amman Open where Valamaki won earlier in 2020. And then his two challenge tour wins came in the Middle East. So to me, it's just a comfort level. And he is, I mean, every time that he tees it up, he's top five, top 10, top three, top whatever in ball striking, tee to green approach. He is absolutely phenomenal. He just, I mean, to the point where I think he puts like an amateur at times. Uh, it's it's that bad, and and you just have to time it right. He will he will get top fives, and he will contend for victories, and it's going to be a limited amount of places, and this may be one of them. Yep, and and to your point, I mean, he lost on average. Uh, over a half a stroke per round on the greens. And I mean, there's times that, you know, I mean, that number is tripled for him and it, it's just difficult. But again, you don't get these odds on these type of golfers, you know, in, in the smaller fields, you put Smith in Portugal, you know, those odds are cut in half at, at best. So yeah. I think again, his comfort here that you discuss is, is a great way to take advantage. Again, there could be some rust factors for some guys too, and, and getting somewhere where there's comfort. I think there's a lot to, to be on with Smith. It's just, there is, um, people probably don't know this too. Maybe you guys overseas know a little bit better. We're using bet three, six, five odds today, which is available stateside as well in Pennsylvania. Um, there is shot tracker on bet three, six, five. So that was a new addition that was added since the restart There's shot by shot. You can go in there. There's not like the shot by shot data, but you can, you know, shot tracker your guys. And it's, it's pretty accurate. It's pretty strong. Um, and so if you do bet Jordan Smith, I recommend not tracking his round because it's not worth it. Yeah, no, don't do that. Unless you've got a, a cold drink there or something that can keep you going or, you know, you, your eyes shut and listen to it on the TV because he will drive you absolutely crazy. He's 
And it's a shame because he's won before. He's very solid. I mean, he's played, been top 10 at the PGA Championship. He's, he's phenomenal. Like, he's a great talent. Um, and we see these guys on the PGA Tour all the time as well, don't we? You know, you've got people like Emiliano Grillo. You've got uh, Keegan Bradley. You know, these guys that just constantly give themselves chances. I think the trouble is when you give yourself that many chances, you tend to lose, you know, a lot of strokes on putting if you can't putt. And he's just one of those. But I think now he's he would be the last definitive pick for me on the card at, at 110 to 1. I think the number there is there. Um, I think that's the number you guys have got. Because once you get down lower, there's a lot of, you tend to fall in a trap I do where there's a, probably another 20 guys that we can talk about and we will go on to some of them that, that appeal and they will, you know, finish top five, top six, because there's always someone that does that. But you've really got to look at win equity. And this is an event that really does favor the head of the market, even if it's not the favorites. Yep. Yep. I agree. And again, you're playing for, for each ways almost always when you're making these odds um, down to this degree. And again, for those that don't know, each ways aren't very popular in the United States. There are some books like Bet Rivers who might offer some each ways um, here. Now, each way would be if you're betting on Bet365, it is a fifth of the uh, or a fourth of the odds for top five places. So if somebody is 200 to one, you would get a fourth of those odds. So 50 to one, if they are to place in the top five, you would bet, just say you're betting $10 total, you would bet $5 to the outright. You automatically have to send that other $5 to the each way to total your $10 bet. Um, and, and again, that should be hopefully coming uh, stateside more as things are, are legalized um, and different books are available because you get very good top five odds and why often you'd be betting these guys is because of the each way is so much better than a book who might just offer a, a top five. And, and that's why these guys all down here do have capability and we can talk through a couple. I mean, you look at Rasmus Hoygaard at 125 to one, you know, a two-time winner last year on the European tour. These odds are starting to get deep for a guy like him. He's the guy, right? That he, to me, he doesn't strike me as someone that would win this event, but 125 to one, especially with the each way, you, you know, you're looking at a guy that's very talented. He has one, you know, then it's twice. And, and he, I think, the thing that puts me off is the people that he did beat to get those victories. I mean, they're, they're shaky enough in contention themselves. So, yeah, Justin Walters, when it means so much to, um, and he's a young kid. He's fearless. There's no scar tissue on him whatsoever. So he's come out, he's hit the, he's hit the ball running and he's got nothing to worry about. Once he gets into the lead with one of these guys and someone chases him down, then we'll see what he's made of. But when he's that number, especially on each way, I mean, one thing that, you know, that England does get right is that we offer significantly more places. You might do eight places, you might do seven places quite often. So it makes it easier for us guys to take on a guy like this. Um, when it's top, you know, when it's five places, you might look at a top 10 bet or something like that. So he he's definitely a guy that, like I said to you off air, there's probably 20, 30 guys that can definitely place. And, and, and if someone said to me, you know, at the end of the week, well, why didn't you say him? Well, I'd say, well, of course he's got the ability to do it. It's just you've got to limit it because otherwise you're going to you're going to bet everybody. So how I've done it, I've picked those three guys I've mentioned so far and they're guys that I really think can win. And Jordan Smith's case is probably more of a place because he can't putt um, unless, you know, they've you know, changed the rules and his caddy can putt for him or something. I don't know. But he he's a guy that can place. And, and these guys are too. And you're going to get onto a couple now as well. But... There will be, it will be 
even in every event, isn't it? The PGA Tour, there's always a guy who's 150 to one, 200 to one, 250 to one. You go, why didn't I think of him at the start of the week? Well, you just can't. You cannot think of everyone. When you're looking at models, you're looking at guys that that the super course, they're going to be guys that are actually chasing the win and they might fire more flags, might miss the cut, etc. And you've got these guys that plod along nicely, don't really sniff the win, but they finish eighth overall. And you're like, okay, what happened there? And these are the guys that you're looking at now, I think. And they're also guys that we will want to attack on DraftKings. In order to fill out a $50,000 salary, you can't just play Rory, JT, Fleetwood, Hatton, obviously. You know, so looking at these guys that are probably mid-sevens, maybe even high sixes if you're lucky um, for some of these guys, this is how you kind of round out these DraftKings teams. And again, I'm not going to pull the trigger on Jamie Donaldson at 110 to 1, who was you know, arguably a top five player to end the European tour season, how well he did in South Africa, you know, how well he did, um, you know, at, at some of those early events. I mean, Donaldson was, was very strong. Sean Crocker ended the year, you know, incredibly talented. Again, he's looking for that first win. He kind of melted um, down the stretch when he was in contention. He has done that a time or two, but his ball striking is really good. And his birdie making sets up really well to score DraftKings points. Um, you know, we talked Nina Burr, the other one that goes hand in hand with him is Garrett Higo, who got his first victory in Portugal um, when he was kind of, um, you know, elevating early on. I mean, these kids are young. They're really good. He's another one. But the one that I'm willing to place the odds on is somebody who has shown stateside that he can compete on the corn Ferry tour. He's actually 12th in the corn Ferry top 25 right now, meaning he's very likely with a, a strong rest of um, 2021 to get his PGA tour card next year is David Lipsky, two-time European tour winner. Does he interest you at all? Yeah. I think the thing that we, you know, we spoke and, and the thing with Lipsky is you've seen it, right? You've seen him win twice. He beat a really good field um, in Austria and that had Brooks Kepka in it, had somebody Fleetwood in it. So, you know, the guy gets it done. He's very well. He's college educated and, and plays played really well there. I think it was Northwest, maybe. I can't remember where I was now. But he's he's a strong player. He came out really well on the European Tour. And the, the only slight niggle for me on him is that he has got that corn ferry distraction that he does need to, to go and play there. But he can play the next month or so with complete freedom because he wants to get the starts here. If he, if he gets to the top five or the top ten here, that puts me in a really strong position to say, right, well, I don't need to come back to the European Tour necessarily. And so I've got the job at hand done on the Corn Ferry Tour. And and this is a place that he can do it. And and for me, like I always say with, with Jason on the Lost Word podcast, is once you get to this number, anything you like about a guy, there, if there's anything you do like, take it. Because you'll only regret it if, you know, if, if they come off and if they, you know, if they win or if they top five and you weren't on, it's going to be really frustrating. And, you know, we spoke about Guido Migliozzi is 175s and, and that's, you know, these guys, they're winners. You know, they've, they've won events. And because they're in a field with JT and Rory, it feels like they can't win when Tommy Fleetwood's there. Um, and realistically, they can't. They probably can't. They, they probably, you are probably playing for those top fives, the top tens, the uh, top ten bet as well. Um, but as we mentioned, these are guys that you will use uh, in drafting situations. And, I mean, Marcus Armitage was a guy that was making big waves for a long period of time. He, to me, struck me as a guy that benefited from just staying in England for X amount of weeks because I think he's just comfortable and happy to hotel hop on resort courses. Um, so I'd be interested to see how he backs it up this year. But, I mean, there's guys. I and mean, you look at Kurt Kitayama's had a very good, you know, start on the European tour. The real boom or bust guy for me down here who I can never get right. Um, so don't follow me in probably. But it's Pablo Larafabal. He He's won here. He's beaten Roy McIlroy and Phil Mickelson. 
Um, you know, he if you look back at the people he's been, Sergio Garcia, he, he scalps a lot of really big guys. And when he's in the hunt, he is absutely superb. The trouble with Pablo is if he shoots a 72 on, month, uh, on Thursday and he isn't in the hunt, he'll probably just shoot 80 and go home. He's, he does check out quite quickly and he's very hot-headed. He has that Spanish uh, attitude towards things. Uh, we've seen it with Sergio Garcia and he's not as good as Sergio Garcia, so he doesn't get away with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, like we said, there's, there's so many guys down here. We can go on for another 10, 20 and, you know, there's there's so many that will fill out your DK school, uh, teams, but you just have, there's, there's always going to be a downside to them at this range. Yeah. And, and again, you could pick apart anybody, but you could also find the reason to get them. And yeah, I think finding top 10 markets, top 20 markets, when you might get into, you know, double digits, um, you know, maybe a 10 to one for some of these top 20 guys. I mean, like you said, Kitayama, another two-time winner on the European tour. Uh, How Tong Lee is 150 to one, you know, who's unbelievable. As long as he's not on the range and they berate him for spending too much time on there. Then he's Correct. Okay. <laughs> or not listening to Ernie at the, at the president's <laughs> cup, you know, one of those two. Um, but I am going to spend a little bit of time on Guido Bengliazzi, of course. And so Pat has, and for those that are listening, obviously you listen to Pat, Pat has his guys that he bets every single week, you know, and, and right now it's Siwoo Kim and, and that's, my Guido Migliazzi is Pat's Siwoo Kim. And for those that don't know Guido, Italian superstar, like this kid, take a look at him. And I mean, you could, he's a model basically. I mean, he, he is an unbelievable swing. He um, is just a kind of raving personality and he came through. He was one of the guys like um, we talked about with Alamaki that got through qualifying school, was a prolific winner on the Alps tour um, prior to almost did that Matt Wallace type of um, kind of rising through the OWGR ranks on some of these smaller tours and Guido capitalized on that with multiple victories in 2019. And he did that his first one. So Guido's numbers early on when he was missing cuts on the European tour, I mean, he starts his career with a miscut, miscut, 63rd miscut, but his ball striking numbers during that stretch were literally top 10 on the European tour. And then he capitalizes magical Kenya open, just one of the most intense and best like golf moments I have is Migliazzi on the 18th hole at the magical Kenya open. He drives it, hits the fairway and he's just kind of pumping his chest a little bit, walking down the fairway iron shot. He literally hits the pin on 18 when he needs a par to win. And then just, I mean, unbelievable. So he wins there at like, you know, deep, deep odds, myself and Axis were on him there. And then he comes back four weeks later, later wins the Belgian knockout, you know, literally demolishing the field through match play. And he did it with prolific ball striking. But he also, if you go through and you can see, he is also placing in tournaments. 2020, he had a top four um, at the Omen Open. He had a sixth place at the Andalusia Masters. So the reason I think he's bettable every single week when we're getting these type of numbers is he's still going to pay off those each ways. And if he's in contention like Letharable, I really like Guido's chances. So he's somebody for me every single week. We're getting 175. You could probably even find deeper on him. That's going to be where, where I'm kind of finishing my guys that I'm betting today and then um, kind of wrapping up my card. Is there anybody deeper we have, we've missed on or want to talk about before we kind of give a recap? I think, I think one of the things is there is there's a ton of guys down here, and if people want to reach out and speak to us and, and bounce ideas off of them, that's fine because otherwise this will turn into a four-hour show because there is so many guys and so many downsides. There's one guy that isn't actually – I think he's going to be in the field 
think he's the last person in after some withdrawals. He's not actually in the odds yet. He's not going to be obviously DK scoring is not out. And that's Francesco Laporta. Uh, he finished tied second uh, behind Rosner, as we've spoken about, um, at the Golf and Dubai Championship. And he was 11th, uh, 17th place here, sorry, um, in 2020. And what was really good was he, he was shot 70, uh, 63 in the second round. Um, and everyone just expects him to fall away. And then he stayed in tight. He was stayed in the hunt. He was just behind Westwood. Obviously, did collapse in the final round. And, and I, normally that would put you off. But you know, it's a first time thing. You know, he you can tell that he was around. He's not completely young. I think he's thirty, and he, he's sort of been to the European tour and dropped back down. But just over the last couple of years, he just seems to have raised his game and elevated it. And he won twice on the Challenge Tour last season. And I think that especially in drafting situation, if you can get a guy that has played well at the court already, played well in uh, in the Middle East just before Christmas and the break, again, he's not very consistent and it's hard to follow a guy like that, but it's really hard to get a gauge of consistency when you look at last year because of the situation everyone was in, right? I mean, you spoke about Guido Migliozzi there and he was placing. Well, if you look at his form last season, it's all over the place. Miscuts here, miscuts there. But no one could really get a string of tournaments going, or if they did, they weren't necessarily suited to him. So I would rather look at the earlier body of work before the shutdown and the year before uh, as a as an evaluation on a player, if you like, because some other guys gone another way. The guy we didn't support was Laurie Cantor, uh, who had a really phenomenal season last year. Um, looked like he was going to win, probably will win maybe this season. Um, but I don't know if he's overrated because it suits him so much just not having to go to all these different parts of the globe that he normally would do. So it's really, really hard to assess. And I think in three, four or five weeks' time, we'll get a really clear picture of who is who are the guys. There'll be four or five guys to follow that are still going to be relatively good odds. There's going to be guys that are the favourites that we don't need to tell you about um, because we can sit here all this time and Roy McIlroy and JC can run away with it. It's, it's absolutely possible. But, I, you know, me personally and... and don't take it in the sense that if there is a favourite, we will bet them if, if needs be. If, if there really is nothing going against them, and there's 10 to 1, 14 to 1, I'll do it. But for me, the, the value of this show is giving you the guys that are not at the top of that market that we really need to sort of educate you guys on because people know, but to really give you a bit more background information on them. Yep. C- couldn't agree more. And I think that's well said and kind of puts a bow on our thoughts for this week. Um, again, for, for Abu Dhabi here, I guess, start from the top, Tom run through, I think you ended up with four on your betting card, three or four. Where are you at right now? For sure. Yeah. So definitely for three, I think the, the guy that we both agree on is Victor Perez there at 30 to one. I think that he had an outstanding year or a couple of years, really in 2019, 2020, he's got that Ryder cup character to go for. He wants to keep himself where he is in the world rankings for all the majors. Um, and he's done it here. He's finished second. He shot a final around 63 to get in there. He shot a 65 on his debut when, you know, even when he finished 54. So it took me a little while to get used to it on the first start. But as I said to you, I think the course form itself isn't as important as just being able to get a look. And he's he's shown last year that he can do it. Martin Keimer was the other guy for me who, for his sins, he's going he's gonna to win. He's going to get back in the, the winner's circle. I think people give up too quickly. Well, you haven't given up too quickly. It's been six years, but... But this is a guy that's been completely written off. He's a former one, you know, world number one, major winners. You know, there's going to be a time where he comes and gets it back together. We saw Graham McDowell win at the Saudi International. If he can win, Martin Carmen can win. That's the, that's the logic that I take from there. And the final guy for me was Jordan Smith, who is definitely team no putt. Um, if his caddy could putt for him, I'd like, I'd like that to be the case. But he, he will ball strike. He will hit plenty of greens. 
don't watch him live because it'll give you some sort of heart condition. But yeah, he's he's the long guy for me. Awesome. Awesome. And again, so we're aligning Victor Perez 30 to one uh, for me to start my card. I'm going to listen in and see if anybody, or again, feel free, you know, if you find things for us, the European tour news information is the wild west. If you're able to find things withdrawals are hard to come by. We saw situations obviously with COVID happening right now where, um, you know, guys aren't, no one's notified that somebody might not be in the field. So um, if you can find Thomas Peters talking in some pressers feel free to tag me uh let me know because he's right on my fringe right now for he loves it yeah. yes <laughs> absolutely um and then antoine rosner 80 to 1 i am in on there um next for me is david lipsky at 140 to 1 um and then the other one that i'm locking in right now is guido it's always guido time baby and that's for me 175 to 1 um rounding out the card for this week um and Tom, go ahead before we wrap up here again, plug the podcast where they can find you on Twitter and kind of what your weekly output is. Yeah. Just before I get on to that, that sounded very much like Guido was part of Jersey Shore there. He's, uh, he's, <laughs> he's that type of guy, isn't he? So, oh yes. Uh, DJ Paulie D. So yep. yeah, no, I'm Tom Jacobs 93 on Twitter. It's the lost for words podcast that you can find on Apple. Uh, you can find it on Podbean, Spotify, wherever you need to look for that. And um, that will come out late tomorrow uh early tuesday uh, depending on where you are in the world so um and, and we you know like i didn't want to do here we go so deep into that it's pretty times where like even i'm like well you know that's too much information but it you know that's that's where we go down that current line so that's for me i think the two guys that i didn't really that hit on was jamie donaldson would be one of the ones that was hard to knock off just because i find it hard for him to win um I think he can play well. It wouldn't surprise me he's there for three rounds. And then whether his back holds up or whatever it is, um, we'll see from there. But yeah, thank you, Skylar. Yes, thank you, Tom. Um, no, this was a lot of fun. You can find me every single week. So Twitter at Skyhook. DFS, um, H-O-O-K. And then uh, I'm part of the FTN network. So we have the FTN daily. And every Tuesday I go through um, the DFS prices on the European tour walkthrough. I refer to them as my rolling stats sheets. But, you know, mining into that European tour data so we can all take a look, begin profiling those guys. So I do a little screen share for our members and walk through who my favorite DraftKings prices are for the week on FTN Daily. And then you can find myself and Axis on the Alternate Shop podcast, which you you can subscribe to on all the different um, uh, media networks for that. But, you know, this is all about the, the debut of the European tour picks and bets on the media Mayo media network for us. I mean, this is uh, you know, like you said, a starting of a new era for us and we're very excited. We appreciate you guys listening. Uh, please subscribe on YouTube and you'll catch us next week for the next European tour event. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, if there's any feedback or suggestions that you guys have in terms of format, in terms of what you want us to talk about. I know we we didn't typically take a massive dive into stats. It's just to kind of get a feel of what people like, but we've listed the names that we like. And uh, as the weeks go on, we'll, uh, we'll take it into what you want. Amen to that. Thank you guys so much. Thank you very much. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. 
They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 